Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Uh, and we're carrying on our series through the book of Ephesians, looking at the master plan of God. We're in Ephesians 3, and we're going to be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 to 21. So let's listen to God's holy and perfect word together. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be, uh, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in their heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Now as we begin uh, this sermon, are you a visionary or a details uh, person? 
Uh, it's one of those interview kind of questions, isn't it? And some of us know we just love the big picture. We love seeing the possibilities, the opportunities. Now, others of us, we love the details, don't we? The budgeting, the organizing, the logistics. Um, and an organization generally works best when those two types of people work together, isn't it? They, they talk, they see each other's strengths. You know, it's like a, a racing car on the move when that happens. Uh, but when, when one is forgotten, either the car goes too fast and, and kind of falls apart or the car never actually starts. Um, and in our lives, I wonder if life can feel more like the details part. It's the day-to-day. It's the, the daily routines of eat, work, clean, watch TV, sleep, repeat. It's the ordinary. And, and the bigger picture, it kind of gets uh, lost from view. It's like life is this great big canvas, a huge painting. And we know there are all these tiny little brush strokes and, and bits of paint, but we have no idea kind of what they're doing and how they make up the whole. But Paul wants us to connect the dots. He wants us to see how the small and the big, the details and the vision, our, our lives before God and all its details and the master plan, how they come together. And he's going to do that uh, big time as we move through the later chapters, but he's doing it here in chapter 3. For two chapters, he's been waxing lyrical about the big plan, the master plan, the goal of all creation and all humanity. He's shown us all things, remember, you're going to be united in Christ. He's given insight into how Jesus brings the dead to life. And if you, if you remember last week, he delved into God's plan for the church how he's brought Jew and Gentile together into one new humanity. His one people saved in his one son, Jesus Christ. That is the master plan. And in, in our passage, in verse 10, he even says that through the church, God is displaying his manifold wisdom. That's the big picture, the vision. But Paul wants to show us how we see this, this master plan develop and come about come about in the world and come about in our lives. And it's not just through giant brush strokes, it's through the details of individuals, their lives before God, our lives before God. And in this chapter, we see it in two surprising ways. Firstly, in verses 1 to 13, we see God's purposes come about through prison. Through prison. The first way, it's right there in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul is in prison for the gospel here. He's proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ for Jew and for Gentile, and he's in prison for it. And this little section ends with the same. Did you notice it in verse 13? So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, Paul is suffering. And what's the impact, verse 13, that the Ephesians might actually lose heart. Paul says don't lose heart, but they might lose heart. They're so discouraged by this. How can God's messenger, one of God's apostles, be in prison? Surely the conquering God is he's, he's riding across the earth in pomp and glory. And with Paul in prison, the question comes, is this really the right message? Can we trust you, Paul? Is your gospel the real deal when you're in prison for us? Well, Paul is clear, God's great purposes for the universe come even through prison. 
And to show them this, he reminds them, first of all, of two things. Firstly, his commission, verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul was commissioned by God himself. He was entrusted with God's plan of salvation. And then verse 4, he's pointing them also to what he's already written. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So he's starting with their experience. He's saying, look, Ephesians, you've heard uh, about my commission. And even if you haven't, you can read for yourself what kind of insight I have. In these first two chapters, it's a deep and profound one. And I have this insight. Why? Because it's been revealed to me, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Then verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now Paul uses this word mystery to talk about this. Now mystery here doesn't mean something that we can never understand. Okay? No, Paul's using this word mystery to mean something that wasn't known before, hence a mystery, but it is now out in the open. It was secret and now it's known. And what is the mystery, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promised in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's all we looked at last week. Okay, That was at the end of chapter 2. The Gentiles, along with the Jews, have become the one new humanity, one people in Christ through his death. Now some of that was known before, that the Gentiles would stream into God's people, But this great unity that we thought about, this equality as one people of God through the death of the Messiah, that's the great mystery. That's what Paul and the other apostles now know. It's been revealed. But Paul's building the argument. Paul has insight because God revealed it to him, but it was revealed to him so that it might actually happen. Verse 8, to me... Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now, why was it given? Why is the mystery being given to him? Uh, for two ways. One, verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then second, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So Paul has been entrusted with this gospel so that he might preach it to the Gentiles. Why? So that they can come to Christ. So they might know the unsearchable riches of Jesus. Why? Because this is what God is doing. This is the eternal plan. The big purpose of it all, verse 10, so that through the church, it's amazing, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's gone right from the small, okay, the detail, he's suffering, he's in prison, right up to the big picture. Paul is preaching the gospel so that Gentiles might be saved, so that through the church, God's wisdom might be declared to the rulers. That's the, the, all the demonic and evil forces in the heavens. uh, Our God, as as John Piper put it, he's not a tribal God. He's not a local deity. His wisdom is on display for everyone, even, especially uh, for demonic forces. And verse 11, this was always God's eternal purpose. 
that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying, look Ephesians, you see me in prison. You might be worried about my suffering and what that does for the message. But you need to see everything I'm doing, including my suffering, is for the grand purposes of God. God's eternal purpose is to to, to save the Gentiles and Jews in Christ. God's doing this to show his extraordinary wisdom and he's doing it through me. Just look, it was God's grace that gave Paul the message, verse 2. It was God's grace that made him a minister, verse 7. It was God's grace that enabled him to preach, verse 8. That's why he said right at the beginning in verse 1, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Prison isn't a problem, it's for you. Then verse 13, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. God's purposes that he's putting into plan through his apostles, these purposes come through prison. They come through the suffering of his chosen messengers. Rather than uh, his suffering showing Paul's failure as an apostle, his suffering is showing God's empowering grace at work. God is glorified as Paul is preaching and suffers. As Paul explains elsewhere, he's following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus suffered on the road to glory and so do his messengers, so do his apostles, his prophets and preachers. God's purposes come about through prison. And that feels backwards, doesn't it? It feels counterintuitive. Surely a message of victory should come through victory. It feels like making a house through crushing bricks. You know, some things, but, but some things do come through strange means. You know, like that proverb, you can't make an omelette without breaking uh, some eggs. Or, or think of just of the, the rejuvenation of a forest that occurs when a forest fire rages through it. The wonderful results from a strange means. That's what's going on here. God is uniting all things in Christ. How? Through the preaching of his word to Gentiles by suffering messengers. And this means as we, as we look at the suffering of the first apostles, whether it's Paul or perhaps James, uh, who was killed very early on, or Peter or any others, that shouldn't be a stumbling block to us in our faith. Perhaps you've been struck by the weak beginnings of Christianity. Surely if it was of God, it wouldn't have been persecuted. Surely it would be one of the worldly powers. Or perhaps you've seen the glory of other religions. I don't know, like Muhammad who conquered local tribes and so saw Islam spread in victory. Or perhaps the, the, the academic and intellectual victories of writers like I don't know, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. But the the sufferings of Paul, but they were not a failure. He suffered for God's purposes to come about. Here is the small details of Paul's life bringing about the master plan, the wonderful great canvas of history. So as we see it, let it encourage you this morning. The apostles had resolve. They had perseverance because they knew the message that they had was from God's not from men. They knew the salvation of the nations was the wisdom of God. So they preached it to everyone. 
It was more important than their earthly prosperity. It was more important than their, than their comfort, their job and their welfare. And so the beauty of Christ just shines all the more, doesn't it? Jesus' glory, all that he did was worth that suffering to these men. All God's purposes, um, and, and actually today, God's purposes still come through prison. Many of God's ambassadors, evangelists and preachers right now across the world face imprisonment and suffering as they declare the suffering saviour, as they walk in his footsteps for the sake of the church. But do not lose heart. Don't buy the lie of the prosperity gospel of the televangelists, of the, the megachurch preachers. Wealth, power and prosperity, they're not necessarily signs of God's favour on your ministry. No, God's wisdom is declared as his purposes come through weak means. Because it's God's power. It's God's strength. His purposes come about through prison. But I suppose a question that strikes me at this point is, how was Paul so steadfast? What drove him to keep preaching to the nations? Well, secondly, let's just look at his prayer life. Because verses 14 to 21, we get his second prayer of the letter. And and so God's purposes don't just come through prison, but God's purposes come about through prayer. They come about through prayer. Here in verse 14, Paul takes up his prayer. Uh, Again, he kind of started it in verse 1, but uh, he, he starts it up again. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And in light, not only of all that God has done in Christ's reversing death, but also in um, in light of Paul's commission and, and strengthening by God's grace, Paul prays. And this prayer is extraordinary. And at its heart, okay, Paul is praying that God's purposes would be realized, would be shown and manifested in the lives of these individual Ephesians Christians. And he prays for that by praying that they would deep down know the glories of Jesus and his gospel. Okay, this this prayer, it's verses 14 to 19, okay, it's one of Paul's long sentences. It's just one sentence and it's like a cascading waterfall, okay? One prayer kind of cascades onto the next as it builds and builds and builds to a crescendo. Okay, so verse 16, he prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power through his spirit. Why, verse 17, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Why, verse 18, so that they might have strength again. Strength for two things, to comprehend the magnitude of all that God has done, the breadth and length and height and depth, and secondly, to know the love of Christ. But the prayer doesn't even stop there. Why is it good that they understand and know all this? End of verse um, 19, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God, uh, Paul wants God to work in their hearts, the Spirit bringing power in their inner beings, Christ dwelling in them, so that they get all that God has done for them, so that they might be filled with the fullness of God. Paul wants God's purposes to manifest in their lives. He wants them to experience more fully the wonders of what God is doing in the world, that the truths that he's been preaching to them in this letter would sink so deeply They're profoundly impacted by them. And so they might live lives transformed by them. Perhaps think of it as a little bit like Asterix from Asterix and Obelix, okay? Needing the magic potion 
for superhuman strength. What's he got to do? He's got to drink it. He's got to let it seep down into his limbs to let it go deep, coursing through his veins. And when that happens, he has superhuman strength. And Paul's praying the gospel would do that in our lives. It would go right down through our veins, take deep root. It would spread within us and have a profound impact on us. Uh, But let's have a look at these steps in the prayer. Because as we'll do, we'll see that Paul is praying for profoundly deep spiritual things to happen in people. Let's go back to verse 16. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul knows we are weak vessels. We're like cracked jars. We're like threadbare backpacks. Our our hearts and minds, we're superficial. We're easily distracted. We worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. We're drawn by things that will rust and degrade rather than eternal things. We're weak. If we're going to know the things of God, we need God's Spirit to strengthen us. We need our inner being, our thoughts, our desires, our will and emotions to be stronger. Stronger. Stronger for a purpose. Not for just doing more gym work. No, for a greater purpose. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul isn't saying Jesus is is sometimes in our hearts and sometimes not. No, he's praying that Christ in us, the extraordinary reality in the Spirit, that his dwelling would would expand our capacity for him, that his presence would be like a a digger opening up a a bigger hole in our hearts for him, or that he'd be like, think of it perhaps like a, a mother nesting, making our hearts more and more his home. And as he does, we begin to be rooted in love. End of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Having Christ dwelling in us means like like the beginnings of a a mighty oak tree. Our roots are deep into into nutrient-rich soil. Or like the beginnings of a giant skyscraper, we're, we're, we're grounded on deep, sturdy foundations. And that soil, that foundation, it's love. The extraordinary love of the Father shown for us as Christ died for us, adopting us into his family. But as our roots go down, so our minds and hearts can increase and grow into an extraordinary realm. Verse 18. Verse 18, Paul prays that we'd comprehend the infinite. And verse 19, that we'd know the unknowable. Okay, Verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Often when I say that, I say height, but it's not height. It's breadth and length and height and depth. Okay, I love this. Paul, Paul doesn't actually finish the phrase. Do you notice that? The breadth and length and height and depth of what? Well, perhaps it's the love of Christ we see in verse 19. But I wonder if it's, if it's grasping of it all, of all that God is doing. The infinite God performing such incredible works as to bring dead, the dead to life, to unite one people in Christ, to make a family out of hostile nations, to bring all things under his risen king, to grasp the master plan. The gospel, it can be expressed and believed in such simplicity, can't it? And yet the extraordinary breadth and length and height and depth to it. May we grasp, may we comprehend the infinite. 
and also know the unknowable. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that a glorious statement? Christ's love for you is endless. The way he's showered his glory on us. He's made us co-heirs. He's brought us to life in him. He's brought us to God, our Father, all through his own death in our place. We were enemies. We were sinners. What love. And I also think we sometimes speak of love like we think we get it. Like we've got a handle on it. We sing it in our songs. We say it to each other. And yet what we mean by that word is like a drop in the ocean of what Christ means when he says, I love you. And finally, so that you may be filled, verse 19, with all the fullness of God. It's the only statement that can come after all that, isn't it? After this overflowing prayer, the only place it can stop is the fullness of God. That's what life's all about, deep intimacy with God himself. These are deeply spiritual things he's praying for, isn't he? Profound spiritual insight. Deep security, grounding in love, inner strength and wisdom, a fullness of life, a spiritual life with such vibrancy and colour. No wonder Paul is on his knees praying for these things. They can't come about through hard work. They can't come about through human exertion and they simply don't come about by accident. Assuming that this happens, um, uh, just kind of happens, is like a... Assuming a child will understand quantum mechanics by eating her greens. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Now, these profound changes in our heart and life of a person only comes, verse 14, from the Father. Verse 16, strengthening us by the Spirit. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. This is a deep work of the triune God's. So Paul is on his knees in prayer. This prayer, it's an extraordinary window into the heart of Paul. This is what he deeply cares about. This is what he knows uh, he deeply needs and what the church needs. His heart is fixated by the purposes of God. I wonder, what was on your and my prayer list this week, this last week? Now, of course, we should be praying for our daily needs. Jesus commands it. Give us today our daily bread, we pray. But perhaps this week that was all we prayed for. Remember, we should also pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that's exactly what Paul's been doing here, isn't it? He's been fleshing out and praying that wonderful will of God. God has grand purposes for the world and for his people and Paul knows it comes through prayer. Paul loves it. He wants to see it more and more and more in the people he ministers to. This is the small details of our life again interacting with the master plan. The small brushstrokes making up the painting are prayers bringing about the big picture in our hearts and lives. Let's be people who pray these words with Paul for ourselves and also uh, for others. Perhaps use this prayer this week to fuel your own prayers. And this prayer, I suppose it's a bit like a virtuous circle, isn't it? As we pray it and God answers it, 
so we'll love his grand purposes and his extraordinary love and so pray this prayer all the more. Paul knew God's purposes come about through prayer. And that's why the prayer ends with this wonderful overflow of praise. To whom does he pray? Verse 20. The one who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We need God to do this in us and in our church. And just remember the impact this has had on Paul's life. God answering this prayer really does change lives. Remember Paul's in prison. He's suffering for the sake of Christ. He's suffering for the glory of the Ephesians and the other Gentiles. But he's persisting. He's persevering. You know, rather than persecuting God's church like he used to, he's suffering for her. A deep, profound knowledge of the love of God in your life. Not a a one-off knowledge. It doesn't have to be some kind of one-off experience, but instead an ongoing, long-term deepening of God's work in your heart. That kind of knowledge of God's love will radically transform your life. Perhaps you can think of someone just now that this is true for. You've seen their love of Christ grow and grow over the years. You've seen it overflow in love for others, in perseverance, in bold evangelism. There's a great saint that comes to my mind. He's a a man called Douglas. He's now with the Lord. He was the, the grandfather of a great friend of mine. And you could tell he was a man in whom God had answered this prayer. He couldn't help but talk of his saviour and his love. He couldn't help but but share his faith with those around him because he he comprehended something of the infinite. He knew something of the, the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. God, over the years, had been at work in his life, strengthening him in his inner being. Oh, may we pray for this to happen in our hearts and lives too. God's purposes come about through prayer now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen